Hey, hey. Hey, I was just so honored when I got the call to be with all of you girls at Summer Splash here at Milestone. And um, I was so excited because, a couple reasons, my, uh, the men in my life actually are really well acquainted with, with your pastors. My, my father-in-law, Coach Mullins, he's spoken here before, done the men's events. He's amazing. My husband loves your pastor. And so I was so excited that I finally got to get to know you and get to know Brandy especially because everywhere I have gone over the last couple of years, if I'm in a room of pastors and pastor's wives, almost everybody will say, do you know Brandy Little? And I'm like, I don't know Brandy, but I know everyone that knows Brandy, so I kind of feel like I know her. And so the last couple of weeks, we've been able to talk by phone. And last night, um, when you picked me up at the airport, really late, our plane came in late, so we had dinner at about 11 o'clock last night. But when we got to the hotel, I didn't want to get out of the van. She can tell you, I, I sat there because I didn't want to get out because I loved hearing her heart. And what I love the most is when she talked about you. I cannot tell you, I think in just a couple of hours, I've heard so many of your stories and the way that she loves you, the way that, that she wants to build something life-giving and, and eternal in your, in your lives and in the lives of the girls of this church is amazing. And so could you just give some love to Miss Brandy and the way that she is leading and loving. You're building something so beautiful here. And I'm just really honored to be a part of it. So before I jump in, I just want to give a shout out to all of you girls that are joining us at the Hazlet and the McKinney campuses, and also everyone that's joining us online at watch parties. I'm so glad that you're here. I just, I'm so honored and just so excited just to be a part of this. I really believe God's doing something significant and powerful in the lives of his daughters the lives of his, of his daughters that are just stepping up in strength in this season. And a little bit about me before we get started. First of all, I just feel like I have to tell you, because any time I meet new people, I make sure I let them know that I am totally deaf in my left ear, which means that there's a good chance I might ignore all of you all night long. Unless you give me a little bit of love over here, shout me down, a little bit of amen, yeah. Let me know that you're there. And, um, and I'll make sure that I show you some love. It also means that at the after party for walking around and I ignore you, um, and you're like, she was just so nice when she was on the platform. I'm not ignoring you, I just can't hear you. But the second thing I want you to know is that, um, is that I'm not a conference speaker. And even though I've spoken at a lot of conferences, and, and I love when I get to do that, um, I'm not a, a conference speaker, but I'm a church builder. And I love building church, and that's why I'm here. That's why I'm here, because I believe in Milestone Church, and I believe that when the daughters, the moms, the aunts, and the grandmas of the church are strong, that the church is stronger, and it can move further, faster. And so tonight is just really about an investment into, into this amazing ministry of Milestone Church. I love church, because when I walk to the doors, as a very broken 13-year-old girl that was living in the aftermath of a, of a pretty messy divorce and all that came with that. When I walked through the doors and the only reason I came was because somebody had invited me to a youth group and I didn't even know what that was but I heard that there were some really cute boys there so I decided to show up. <laughs> and when I came to the doors, I found what I didn't even know I was looking for. 
I found people that made living for Jesus so attractive that it took away my taste for anything the world had to offer. I found, I found youth leaders, a 22-year-old youth leader who would drive 30 minutes one way to make sure that I made it to student ministries every single week. I found, I found people that were older than me that began to call out God's gifting and God's purpose in me and gave me opportunities. I mean, they, they let me teach the third grade girls Sunday school class. And I had no idea that nobody wanted to teach the third grade girls Sunday school class. <laughs> but I was honored, right? And I also found Jesus. Those people introduced me to Jesus and he rewrote my story and I never turned back. And I found one of those really cute guys. And there was a seventh grade boy, his name was Todd. And after a very long on again, off again relationship, if he were up here right now, he would tell you it was more on than off, but I'm here and I can tell you the true story, it was definitely more off than on. But after many years, he finally got the hint and he asked me to marry him and we are celebrating this month 34 years of marriage and all 34 years, I think I have a picture of him, yeah. All 34 years we have been planted in one church and for the last 10 years we are now the senior pastors at Christ Fellowship and so the church, God's people have marked my life. So I hope you're okay if we just have a little bit of church tonight, okay? So, you know, every year at the beginning of the year, like many of you do, I always pray that God will give me a word, a word for me personally, that, that will give me clarity and focus for the year to come, a word for our church family, but I also pray for a word for the, for the sisterhood of our house the moms and the daughters of every generation that call Christ Fellowship their home. And a couple years back, God spoke very clearly a personal word and that my word for our girls was the same word. And that word was flourish. And I love that word flourish because it has so much kingdom truth in it. And it's a theme all throughout scripture. In Psalm 92, it says that those who are planted in God's house are going to flourish. In the book of, of John, it says that, that, that we are pruned and, and we're, we're disciplined so that we can bear fruit and flourish. And Jeremiah tells us that, that we were created to be trees that have roots that run deep so that no matter what is happening all around us in every season, that we can bear fruit and flourish. And I love this word and I was so excited about my word. And so I went to Todd and, and I told him my word. And when I told him that this was my word and I was actually going to write a Bible study on this word, he laughed out loud. And before you judge him, I just want you to know he knows something that maybe you don't know. He knows that no plant has actually ever survived in our home, right? <laughs> And so my, my plans have actually been sermon illustrations. They've shown up on the platform when he's teaching about spiritual disciplines and what not to do. Like how embarrassing, right? When people give me a plant, I don't want to seem ungrateful, but I know that I'm going to disappoint them and let them down. And so, you know, a couple years back, um, we had a church conference. And at our church conference, one of the pastors gave me this, this orchid that was about this big. And it was so beautiful and I was so excited about it. I thought, you know, I'm gonna use this plant. I'm gonna nurture this plant. I'm going to talk to this plant and I'm gonna use this as a sermon illustration for our sisterhood to teach them that, that it doesn't matter how old you are, you can learn new things and, 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 and you can go new places. But this is what my plant looked like about two months later. Yeah, that was my plant. So I had to get a new word and a new lesson, you know, um, but. This word flourish became a mantra over this last year and a half. You know, we've all 
kind of walked through a rough season together, right? And, and many times we felt kind of like that picture of, the, of that orchid, you know, the pressures and the stress of this season. And so when I come to you tonight, my, my prayer is that, that this moment, this, this sacred moment would be a, a seed planting moment in your lives. That, that your marriages and your relationships and, and this church, that they might, they might see the fruit of this time that we have together. They might see it in the, the weeks and the years to come. See, as I prayed for you and, and prayed for this time, and I, I really came with like such high expectation of what God wants to do through his daughters here at My, Milestone Church. And as I prayed for you and, and prayed about the flourishing days ahead and your family and in your relationships, this picture is what I thought of. And you're probably thinking, thanks, Julie, for thinking and praying death over me, <laughs> right? But, but this picture is, is Death Valley, and it's actually the, the hottest, driest place in North America. And in most seasons and most years, this is what Death Valley looks like. But back in 2016, something rare and amazing happened. See, after this really long season of drought, followed by torrential rains, and then the longest, most bitter winter in recorded history, this happened. All these seeds that were lying dormant just beneath the surface came to life. And this phenomena is called a super bloom. And what I want you to hear is that a super bloom did not happen because of perfect conditions. The super bloom happened because of severely imperfect, nearly catastrophic conditions. Does that sound familiar to anybody? We've been in some really imperfect conditions over the last year and a half. And I know some of you have been walking through some dry seasons. It might be a, a dry financial season that, that you don't know how you're gonna make ends meet, how you're gonna make it to the next month. It might be, might be a dream that you feel like God put in your heart and it's been so long since that dream has been nourished that, that it feels like that dream might be dead or it might be a prayer that you've been praying for so long, waiting for God to answer your prayer and you're wondering if he's left you in the wilderness, in the desert with this unanswered prayer. Well, I want you to know tonight is that you, if you've been walking through that kind of season, that I believe you are not here by accident. And I believe that God sent me here tonight to declare a new word over you that God has a new season waiting for you. And that just below the surface, where some things may appear dead, there are tiny seeds just waiting to come to life. See, I believe that God has a new season for you. And the setbacks of the last year and a half are really your setup for a super bloom. And you might be thinking, Julie, is that even biblical, right? Because I, I, that's a good word, super bloom, but is it actually scriptural? And what I want you to hear is that it really is. See, it's amazing how God's word always mirrors his heart for humanity. In Isaiah 35, there's this messianic prophecy. And a messianic prophecy just tells us what is gonna happen when Jesus shows up. 
what happened when he shows up in history, and what's gonna happen when he shows up in our lives personally. See, when Jesus shows up, dead things come to life, hope is renewed, and new dreams and new visions are birthed. So I want you to hear this verse. Isaiah 35 says this, even your wilderness and desert will rejoice in those days. What days are we talking about? We're talking about the days when Jesus shows up, when he shows up in power. It says your desert will bloom with flowers. Yes, there will be an abundance of flowers and singing and joy. The deserts will become as green as the mountains for the Lord will display his glory there, the excellency of our God. See, a super bloom is actually a display of God's glory. And some of you have been walking through some seasons in this last year and a half that, that don't make sense right now. But what I want you to hear is that he is working it all together to, be, to build a display of his glory. He wants to use the pain of the past season to build a display of his glory in this next season. But the one thing that you need to know about the display of his glory that is called the super bloom is that nobody knew that it was happening until it happened. See, no, all, the, all the, the hard work took place just underneath the surface. And this is so important because if we don't take care of the seed that's buried just below the surface, there won't be anything left or there for God to use to display his glory. See, hidden buried seasons, they can be a setup or they can be a setback. It all depends on how we take care of the seeds that are buried beneath the surface. And what I want you to hear is that buried just beneath the surface of this last season, you know, when you think about a seed, a seed is, is just full of the potential for life. Like if I had an orange seed up here, there's everything contained within that seed to produce a tree, but not only a fruit-bearing tree, but orchards, orchards of fruit-bearing trees, right? The, the seed has everything within it to have the potential for life. The only difference is, is that one seed, if you saw a seed here and an orange tree here, the difference is, is that one seed was planted and one seed was never planted. One seed was planted and nourished and the other was not. And so I believe buried beneath the, beneath the surface of this last season, there are, there's the seeds of potential joy that, that you don't even know is possible because you've been living in depression and anxiety for so long. There are seeds of a potential freedom from the pain of your past. There are seeds of strength and resilience because of what you've walked through in the last season. See, I wanna to talk to you about for the next few minutes this, this thought. And this is actually the title of my message. And this is it, the setup for the super bloom. If you're taking notes, write this down, the setup for the super bloom. Would you turn to the girl next to you and tell her you are being set up for a super bloom? And then turn to the girl on the other side and tell her that you are sorry for ignoring her. That just wasn't very nice. I thought y'all were nicer than that in Texas, right? So one of my favorite verses in all of, of scripture is found in the Old Testament in the book of Ruth, and it's pretty obscure. Um, it's actually the last verse of chapter one, and it says this. 
In Ruth 1.22, it says, they, speaking of Ruth and Naomi, arrived in Bethlehem in spring at the beginning of the barley harvest. And it's talking about this, this new season that was going to begin that they were getting ready to step into, a new chapter that was gonna be written. And you're probably thinking, what's the big deal about a barley season? How could this be one of your favorite verses? And I think that, that the reason is because sometimes it's really hard to see a season that you're being set up for when you arrive there. And you don't really fully understand that it's actually what's happened in the previous season that actually got you to this season. And in this verse leading up to um, this, this verse of uh, chapter, of, of verse 22, that they arrived at the beginning of the barley season, we actually see how Ruth got here to the beginning of this new season. In Ruth chapter one, it begins with a man named Elimelech and his wife, Naomi, and they lived in Bethlehem. And Bethlehem translated um, from the original language means the place of bread. And this was the place that God was taking care of his chosen people where he provided for them. But because of a famine, a temporary famine, Elimelech decides to move his family from Bethlehem to a land called Moab. And Moab was actually like moving them into enemy territory. They, they worshiped pagan gods and, and, and they, they were just, they, their, the lifestyle in Moab was a 180 degree turn from anything they would have experienced in Bethlehem. And we don't know exactly um, how long they lived there. They think that, that scholars believe that they lived there for about 10 years. And when they lived there for 10 years, they lived there long enough for their two sons to grow up and to marry two Moabite women, Ruth and Orpah. And if you're new tonight, you're probably thinking, that Oprah, she is everywhere, right? But this is actually Orpah, not Oprah, even though Oprah is everywhere. But Ruth and Orpah, and and they get married, and tragically, Naomi's sons and her husband die. And so this, this leaves Naomi penniless and destitute with two daughters-in-law. And so she decides that, that she can't stay there. She, there's nothing for her there and there's really no hope, no inheritance for her there. So she decides that she's going to go back to Bethlehem, back to her people. And so her daughters-in-law decide that they are gonna go with her. So you can imagine this scene, these three widows walking through the desert in the hot mid-eastern sun. And somewhere along the way, Naomi realizes something, she has this epiphany. She realizes that, that she has nothing to offer these girls back in Bethlehem. She has, she has no family, that, that, she, that she has no sons that they can, that they can remarry, which had been tradition um, in this culture. She had no idea if they would even accept her back after she had been gone so long. And so she begins to plead with them. She's saying, go back to Moab. You have so much more hope for a future there. You have so much more for a future husband there. And so she begins to beg and plead. And finally, Orpah, she gets the hint. And she turns around and she goes back to Moab. But Ruth clings to Naomi. She clings to Naomi. And and even though um, Naomi is begging her to go back to her people, Ruth says um, to Naomi, don't ask me to leave you and turn back. Wherever you go, I'm gonna go. Wherever you live, I'm gonna live. Your people are gonna be my people and your God will be my God. Wherever you die, I will die and there I will be buried. May the Lord punish me severely if I allow anything but death to separate us. See, Ruth makes this declaration. She makes this declaration and this declaration changes her destiny. See, she makes three commitments. First, she says, Naomi, 
You are my person. No longer do you have to worry about going hungry or dying alone. I am here with you. And not only are you my person, but your people, they are gonna be my people. And I'm gonna learn everything that there is to know about being part of this family that you've been telling me about. And then this third commitment that she makes, this declaration, is actually the point of no return. Because this is where she would be cutting all ties to her family back in Moab when she says, your God, the one true living God, Yahweh, he will be my God. And this would have cut all ties. And so this was kind of the point of no return. This declaration changed her destiny and this commitment would mark every step of her journey from this point forward. So then they, they head back to Bethlehem. They make the seven day journey in the hot desert sun. They cross the Jordan River. They, they climb 2,000 feet up the mountain to Bethlehem and they finally arrive back at Bethlehem. And I don't have time to read the entire story, but by now, um, Naomi is bitter. She's depressed. She actually, when she enters into, into Bethlehem, she tells them, don't even call me Naomi anymore. I have a new name now. My name is Mara, which means bitter, right? She began to identify, her identity became bitterness. And you can imagine, like for Ruth, she makes this commitment that I'm gonna stick with you no matter what. Like, and she calls her, her, her name now is bitter. You can imagine, like if you think you have mother-in-law problems, right? <laughs> Yeah, Naomi was not a real blast to be around. So even though times get tough, Ruth decides, I'm sticking with you. I made a commitment and you can count on me. And so this is where my favorite verse comes in because it says that they arrived in Bethlehem at the beginning of the harvest season and God had this new chapter that he was beginning to write. But how many of you know that sometimes new seasons don't feel like new seasons? New seasons don't always look like new seasons because this new season for Ruth actually meant that she would spend hours every single day in the hot desert sun following behind, working hard, following behind the harvesters and picking up just whatever scraps they may have left behind in order to take care of and to feed her, her mother-in-law, Naomi, to provide for her family. And so, she, she begins this, this new season with a lot of hard work. And sometimes our new seasons are gonna be a lot of hard work. But it says in chapter two, verse three, as it turned out, she was, looking, she was working in a field belonging to Boaz, who was of the clan of Elimelech. And this says, as it turned out, another version says, it just so happened. But how many of you know that, that God never works in coincidences, right? It didn't just so happen. See, God's provision was flowing in the pathway of his purpose. And I want you to hear, when you go God's way, his provision will always flow in the pathway of his purpose. You know that, that child that you've been praying for that is so far from God right now? I want you to know that when you follow him, he is putting people in that, that son and that daughter's path. They're gonna be able to echo God's voice in your voice. Some of you young people, you students and young adults, that breakup, the one that broke your heart, it just so happens that God is working it together for your good and what you think was a punishment is actually for your protection. And what I want you to hear is that whatever 
problem you are facing right now, financial problem, a relationship problem, God is always working behind the scenes, but location matters. Location matters because it's, it's important to know that Ruth, she decided to stay close to God and his people, and God had everything she needed waiting for her in that field. Everything she needed was waiting for her in that field. It says that Ruth catches the eye of Boaz. Just picture it. He's like looking across the field. He turns to the guys next to her. He's like, hey girl, what's up, right? And then he turns to the guys, he's like, hey, see the really hot girl over there? I just want you to make sure you leave a little extra behind for her. And so Ruth, she goes home. I mean, her arms are like loaded down with barley, right? I mean, she, her arms are so full. She walks in the door and Naomi's like, where did you get all that barley? And she's like, well, it's a funny story. There's this guy, you know, his name's Boaz and he's checking me out. And, you know, and, he, she, and Naomi's like, Boaz, I know this guy. I mean, we're actually kind of related. And so I don't have time again to tell you the, the, the whole story. You're gonna have to go back and read it for yourself. But Naomi concocts this really amazing, somewhat scandalous plan for Ruth to capture Boaz's heart. And I don't have to tell you all the details, but I can tell you this. It was better than any Final Rose episode of The Bachelor that you're ever gonna watch, right? So that's what happens. So they get married, you know, she, he get, she gets the guy, he gets the girl, they get married, but the blessings keep coming. And then it says in chapter four that after she marries Boaz, that, that she has a son. She's given a son, and in and, and chapter four, verse 16, it says, Naomi took the child in her arms and cared for him. The women living there said, Naomi has a son. You're like, wait a minute, Naomi has a son? Is this another one of those weird mother-in-law things? You know, no. See, Ruth's blessing was Naomi's blessing. They were a part of each other's story. See, Naomi was better off because of Ruth. And that's what happens in God's family. See, we are a part of each other's story. And there is blessing and favor that will come into your life just because you're in the right place with the right people. Think about it. Without Naomi, Ruth would have never met Boaz. And without Ruth, Naomi would have remained bitter and broken with no legacy. Without Ruth and Naomi, Boaz would have never had a son, a son named Obed, who was the father of Jesse, who was the father of David, which was King David, who actually was from the line of King David that Jesus, the Messiah, came to the world, right? So think about it. So Ruth goes from being a, um, a, a poor widow from a pagan worshiping family to being the great, 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 with about several more greats, grandma of Jesus. And if that is not a super bloom, I don't know what is, right? I don't know what is. But you have to be thinking, like she's probably holding this baby in her arms and she's probably thinking, how did I get here? I mean, why me? 
And I can't lie, I, I have to ask myself the same question. Why Ruth? I mean, she wasn't, you know, she, she wasn't from the right family. She wasn't part of the in crowd. There were a lot of other girls in the field that day. Why Ruth? And she actually asks Boaz that question. What was it about me that caught your eye? And it says in, in chapter two, it says, why have you found such favor? Why have I found such favor in your eyes that you notice me, a foreigner? Boaz replied, I have been told all about what you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband, how you left your father, your mother, your homeland, and came to live with the people that you did not know. May the Lord repay you for what you have done. May you richly be rewarded by the Lord. Do you see it? See, Ruth made a commitment to be a part of a people. When she made that commitment to be a part of a people, she became part of a bigger story. She made a commitment and she kept that commitment even when it wasn't easy or convenient. Remember Orpah? Probably not because she moved her feet and lost her front row seat to the miraculous things that God was getting ready to do. And I wonder if Orpah had stayed with Naomi, if we would actually have a book of Orpah. We'll never know because nobody ever writes stories about the abandoned seed, the abandoned seed of potential. See, Orpah was as connected to Ruth, she was as connected to Naomi as Ruth was. They were both daughters-in-law. But connection isn't what got Ruth to where God wanted to take her. And I just want to tell you ladies, I don't want any of you to miss out on what God has for you because you might not understand the difference between connection and commitment. See, connection is a great start. It'll get you down the road a little bit, but it will not get you to where God wants to take you. And there's a difference between connected and committed. See, connected girls, they love nights like this, and we all do, right? They love nights like this where you, you know, worship and the after party, it's amazing. But the committed girls, they're the reason why this night could even happen because they're investing their time, they're investing their gifts, they're investing financially to create a life-giving atmosphere where girls can find their purpose. Connected girls, sometimes they get, get disconnected. They get disconnected when they feel overlooked or, or when, when something, a decision's made in a small group or by their leaders that they don't understand and they, they get disengaged. But committed girls, they fight for relationships. They fight to forgive and they fight their way to the flourish. The connected girls, they, they, they show up at church when, when it's convenient, when everything works out on the calendar and, and, and there's no, nothing else planned. But, and they wonder why they're not living this full abundant life that, that their pastor keeps talking about. Committed girls, they show up. They show up every time they can be counted on right? And their lives aren't perfect, but, but they're experiencing God's favor and blessing and joy and peace in their relationships. And I just want you to know that, that there's a difference between connected and committed. And our potential will never be realized in connection. Our potential can only be released in commitment. And when the commitment is, is carried out and is kept, and you might be here today and you're thinking, Julie, that's me. I am all in. I am committed and I, I, I'm a, I, I show up for student ministries, you know, I'm, I'm in a small group, I'm serving, but there's some things that happened in this last year and a half that have drained the life out of me. And I believe what you're saying in my mind. 
I believe that God has a, a super bloom season, but I just don't know with everything that's happened if, if, if this is gonna be for me. Because this year has been hard and it took more out of me than I had to give. And I want you to know if that's how you feel today, I hear you, I get you, and I've been there more than once. You know, um, when Todd and I first got married, you know, I had this dream of having five kids because I wanted a basketball team. I was a basketball player and I really wanted a basketball team. And so that was kind of my dream, but it became real apparent pretty quick that that might not happen for us. And after a, um, a seven-year journey with infertility and, and three miscarriages, God brought our son, Jefferson, into the world. He was our miracle son. And when I had Jefferson, I thought, man, our family testimony is complete. Because, you know, that, I, I knew that I would be able to pray with other, other couples that were going through the same thing. God has used that part of our story. We've prayed for so many people um, to, to have children. But I realized early on that um, as, as Jefferson was beginning to develop as he was two and three years old, I noticed that he wasn't reaching the milestones that some of his friends were reaching. And, and after, you know, many visits to doctors and specialists, and um, we got the diagnosis that I actually feared the most. And it's really even hard for me to say now because I knew that, that this diagnosis was not going to describe my son. Only God could do that. My son was a child of promise. He had a purpose. God had a plan for his life. And I knew only God could describe him. But it did prescribe a journey that we would go on, a journey of hours and hours of therapy, a journey of expensive financial you know, costs to the excuse me, to the therapies that, that, he was, that he had to have. And, and so it set us on a journey of praying like it was all up to God and working like it was all up to us. And we prayed for a miracle. And I do believe that God can do a miracle in a minute. I've seen him do it. But sometimes he takes us on a journey of miracles, a journey where we're gonna have to trust him every step of the way. And that's what we were on. We kind of signed up for the journey plan. And so we began to pray and we prayed, God, would you provide financially for the therapy that Jefferson needs? And, and it was miraculous, he did. And then we would pray, you know, God, could you just help Jefferson? He was, he was four years old. He was not speaking in full sentences. And, and we said, God, could you just help him to put five words together, just five words. And the very next day, we were in our neighbor's hot tub and he spoke his very first sentence of five words and it was amazing. I mean, God was just so faithful. And that the next week after that, they were opening up a Disney store at our, our mall, our local mall, and he loved Disney, so he was really excited. He ran up to the window and he yells at the top of his lungs, Mommy, look, it's Snow White and the Seven Whores. Eight words, right? So it was not the miracle that I was looking for, but it was my miracle, right? And sometimes that's how the journey went. So day after day, year after year, it was amazing. And we saw things that we just prayed for. And then when he, we, every year he would just, you know, go from strength to strength until he turned 14 and everything stopped. And not only did it stop, but he began to regress. He stopped speaking. He was going, having neurological episodes where he could not you know, do the normal functions. I, I, I could not leave his side one minute. And so we actually stopped, Jefferson and I stopped going to church because I couldn't bring him to church. I couldn't leave him and I couldn't keep him in there. And, um, and, and he, it just became overwhelming. 
And I begin to just cry out to God. I'm like, God, surely you did not leave us, bring us this far to leave us here. Surely you have more for Jefferson than this. And for about a month leading into to this time, I couldn't go anywhere without him. He couldn't do anything without me. And then one day, finally, we said, yeah, we just need a little change of scenery. So Todd and Jefferson and I, we went to the beach, and we decided to just take a walk along the beach. And as we're walking, we had tears streaming down our face because we're just thinking, you know, what are we going to do? The thought, you know, of every fear, like fear was just screaming in my ear, he's an only child. What's going to happen to him um, when we're gone? And I mean, all the things that the enemy was just screaming in our ear. And, and normally, I would not tell you ever to get your theology from t-shirts on the beach in South Florida. <laughs> but on this day, on this day, there was a message that God had for me. Because coming towards us on the beach, there was a man, and he had a shirt on. And it said this. It said, listen to what you know, not to what you fear. And as soon as I saw that t-shirt, something in my spirit rose up because I knew that I had been listening to the voice of fear. I knew that I'd been listening to the negative report. And I thought, what do I know? What do I know about Jefferson? I know that God has a plan for him to prosper him and not to harm him. I know that he who began a good work in Jefferson will be faithful to complete it. I know the same God that was faithful in the past is waiting for him in his future. And so we began to declare God's word over him. I mean, that day, nothing changed, but something shifted. Something shifted and we began to declare God's word. I put post-it notes all over the house. I actually, I, we, we began to declare his word over him and to silence, silence the voice of fear that was counting Jefferson out and start speaking words of faith that would count him in. And so I got him, I mean, that night, I said, we're going to church. I made sure he got into an atmosphere of faith where God's spirit was moving and we decided that even though nothing changed in that moment, that we were signing up for a miracle journey again. And it didn't happen immediately, but over time, God began to do an amazing work. And I just want to give you a little bit of an update. See, this is what I knew. This is what I knew. I knew that if I was going to step into a new season and believe for something that I had never seen before, that I was going to have to have a new commitment to be able to give God's word the final say over Jefferson's life. And this, I want to give you a little update. So Jefferson now just graduated last year from Southeastern University in a degree in worship. And I have, think I have a picture of him leading worship. He loves Jesus with all his heart and has such a heart of a worship leader. And then one year ago this week, he married the love of his life, Cassie, and they just celebrated one year of marriage. And I want you to know that again, this did not happen overnight. And I tell this story and, and I want you to know that, that I have friends that, that have walked the same journey I have. I have friends that saw a miracle in a minute. And I have some friends that are still waiting for their miracle, but God has met them in, in the middle. And, and testimonies that have been written because they did not settle for less than what God had for them. And I don't know what you've been walking through. I, I don't know what, what fear is screaming in your ear. I don't know if, if maybe you know, you've been walking through a season of anxiety and depression if fear is telling you that there's nothing more waiting for you in the future. I want you to know 
that God wants to speak a new word over your life. Maybe you're, you're a student or a young adult and maybe you, 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 you feel like you're standing alone in the fight for your moral purity and you're thinking, I'm not sure if it's worth it. What I want you to know is that God's word says that he wants to pour out his spirit on you and that you are gonna be a voice to your generation. Do not give up. Your calling is too important. Maybe you think that some of the, the things you've done in your past, your past mistakes, disqualify you from the super bloom that I'm talking about. Whatever it is that, that maybe fear is telling you, I want you to know that, that it may feel like you're in a desert. <laughs> it may feel like you're in a desert place right now, but your destiny is a super bloom. Your destiny is a super bloom, and tonight is your setup. Tonight is your setup for the super bloom. Because I really believe that, that the commitments the commitments that we make and the steps that we take are gonna just determine what our future is. See, sometimes I think that, that we think destiny is this huge, you know, euphoric word. Destiny just comes from the word destination. Your destiny is where you're gonna end up in the future. But I want you to hear is that your destiny is not a mystery. Your destiny is gonna be determined by the commitments that you make, just like Ruth, and the steps that you take to walk out that commitment. See, the commitment is the seed. The commitment is the seed that needs to be cared for and nurtured. It's the seed for your super bloom. And so, ladies, I just really believe tonight is a, is a call up to commitment. It's a call up for us to, to commit to God that we're gonna give him the final say over our circumstances. And it's a commitment to God's people, his, his sisters, his daughters, God's people, that, that we're gonna be committed to each other and make this place a priority. And so I don't know what, as I've been speaking, what commitment that you might need to make or what recommitment that you need to make what commitment might have been kind of left beneath the surface and ignored. But, you know, like Ruth, she made a commitment to a person. And there was Naomi. And there might be a person that you need to forgive. It might be a, a person that, that you need to fight for the relationship because it's a kingdom relationship. God's put that person in your life so that you could be all that you've been called to be. Or it might be a commitment to, to God's people you know, maybe you've never been through, you know, growth track or discovery 101. And, and it's time to not just be connected here, connected to all the good things, but to begin to commit to plant your life in the house of God. Or it might be, it might be a, a commitment to, to not just be in a group, but to lead a group. But it might be a commitment to God just to give him final say in his word and his spirit final say. And I don't know what commitment you need to make, but I just wanna give you a minute just to think about that and then write it in your phone, write it down in your notes and just, just take a minute because I want you to think about it because I don't wanna leave here without a commitment or a renewed commitment. I just want to leave you with this. Don't settle for less than the super bloom. Don't settle for less than the super bloom that God has for you.
And would you just hold out, if you wrote it down or if it's on your phone, would you just hold out your commitments? Because I want to pray over those commitments. Because I believe that, that as soon as you walk out this door tonight, there's going to be a, probably a, a, a battle to, to keep that commitment and to walk it out. So I'm gonna pray for you. Would you just bow your head and close your eyes? And before I pray, I wanna declare this scripture over this commitments. Isaiah 43 says, forget everything that is behind. It's nothing compared to what I'm going to do. For I'm going to do a brand new thing. See, I've already begun it. Don't you see it? I will make a road through the wilderness of this world for my people to go home and create rivers for them in the desert. Father God, you are our God. And we commit to you that your spirit and your word have the final say over whatever situation we're walking through. I pray for those that, that are, had been walking through desert seasons, financial desert seasons, relationship seasons. God, I pray for those who, who have walked through seasons of rejection and pain and hurt. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would minister to them. As, and I pray, God, that, that as they hold out their commitment, that you would pour your blessing and favor on them. God, I thank you that your people are our people and I thank you for the blessing and the inheritance of your family and I thank you that that we are we, we are better together that we are better we, we, you have more for us and there's such a blessing when we can be in a community that cheers us on and calls us up I pray God for those who have recommitted recommitted to, to make your people their priority God and I just pray that in the days to come that you would pour out your blessing on them God, we thank you that, that you are a God who loves us, that sees us, and has a super bloom season waiting for us in the days ahead. With every head bowed and every eye closed, I know some of you are here today, and, and maybe you've been hearing me talk about this flourishing life. I want you to know that the very first step to that flourishing life is a relationship with Jesus. And maybe you're here and you don't have that relationship, or maybe you've had that relationship, but you know it's not where it needs to be, and you know tonight is the night that you need to make a commitment to follow him. So if that's you and you would like to start a relationship or maybe restart your relationship, would you just put your hand in the air so I can pray for you? Yeah. Hold it up high so I can pray for you. Yeah. You're going to start or restart your relationship with him. Thank you. Okay. You can put your hands down. We're going to pray a prayer. I'm gonna pray and you're gonna pray this after me. Everyone's gonna pray this prayer, but if you raise your hand, you're gonna pray it a little bit louder because this one's for you. So let's pray this after me. Father God, I thank you for sending your son Jesus to rescue me. I want this full life that you have for me. I pray that you would forgive me of my sin, make me a new person, from the inside out and I will follow you all the days of my life it's in your son's name I pray amen amen